Welcome to the Spirit Anointing the Word, the podcast of Highland Church, Jamaica, New York, with Pastor Subash Cherian. We're so glad to have you with us today, and we're excited about God's Word because it gives us strength and hope for each and every day. Let's listen as Pastor Subash shares this powerful message. Father, we're so grateful that we can gather here this morning again. Your goodness, your mercy, your kindness, O oh God, and we proclaim our Lord, our God, is mighty, absolute sovereign, full of authority and supreme. Our Father, we come to honor you, to magnify you, and to say thank you, and our praise and our worship in the name of Yeshua, Amashia, our Lord, our Savior, Abba. We ask your presence here through the Holy Spirit. Minister to each one of us, spirit, soul, body, precious ones that are here and those that are watching and take charge Holy Spirit lift up the name of Yeshua Messiah we pray touch lives today we pray you know every heart you know every need you know the situation and people are going through and we commit them to you today we are careful to give honor and glory to you dear Lord in Jesus Christ our Lord our Savior God's people said amen and amen give the Lord a clap offering what a joy it is once again to be able to gather this uh, morning and to be able to enjoy the presence of God in this worship and in praise. My subject today, I was going to do the Lord's throne, but I was reminded of something that I had uh, uh, not finished, but I won't go through the entire uh, Isaiah 45, but I talked about Cyrus and the Cyrus anointing, but I wanted to just touch on something and then move on to what I feel is very strong in my heart. I want to read from this passage from the book of Isaiah, chapter 45 and verse 3. And it says here, And I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places, that thou may know that I, the Lord, which called thee by thy name, I am God of Israel. What we find in the scriptures that God is speaking to the Cyrus of today and he calls it the treasures of darkness or treasures in dark places. Maybe you are going through that place of darkness. Maybe you're going through the place where you are hurt. Maybe you're going through the place where you are bankrupt or maybe uh, in terms of health or relationship, no matter what it is. The Bible calls it, I will give you the treasures, not in some lofty places, not on the mountaintop, but in dark places, in the midst of darkness, in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of all the calamities that you and I have experienced during this pandemic, but somebody is still going through the after effect of all of that. And then he says, wealth, or what the Word of God says, hidden riches in secret place. Why would God put hidden wealth in secret place? And why would he hide his treasures in the darkness, in dark and gloomy and difficult days? My message to you today is no matter what darkness you are going through, hold on and there is a treasure in that darkness. No matter what you have gone through, that hidden secret, the secret pavilion, in the place 
of intimacy with the Lord, not anywhere else, searching Him, desiring Him, you're going to find what would be the hidden wealth, wealth you knew not before. So I want us to realize how important this subject is, and I'll be taking uh, two Sundays before I go and embark on the throne and the one that sits upon the throne. But I want to say this, the word treasure is a powerful word. It's a, a Hebrew word that simply means conceal. It's safan that simply talks about concealing something, hiding something very, very precious. So in that Greek thought, it is like saying the treasure is something very costly, very dear, very precious, but it is not in your sight. It's not open out there, it's hidden. Like everything else we find that are so precious in the commodities that we realize it's so expensive, they are hidden, whether it be the natural resources of energy or whether it be in terms of gold or silver or whatever. It is found deep in the depths of darkness. Or if you were to look into the sky and look at the greatness far beyond, in a place that is in utter darkness, you call it the black skies, way beyond the myriads of angels, way beyond the dark hole, is far greater treasures than our eyes or with all of our great technological wonder could ever explore. And here the Bible talks about treasure, concealed, hidden, and there's a reason for it. It is there for us to search. The word hidden or concealed is all through the scriptures. It's almost like revelation until it's unveiled. Something that is opened up that was hiding all along. You find in the book of Exodus chapter 2 and verse 2 and 3, how Moses was concealed. And you find that he was a godly child and in verse 3 goes on to say his mother put him in the ark of bulrushes and finally was discovered by Pharaoh's daughter in such a marvelous way, God orchestrating all of this. And then you find again, Rahab hid the spies that you find in Joshua chapter 2 and verse 4, lest they be killed by the folks there in Jericho. And they, they were concealed until later they were able to go back to safety and report to Joshua all that they have been able to spy out. In the time when the people of Israel cried for a king, wanted to be like any other, all other nations, God was their king. And Samuel protested and said, what you do is wrong. But they protested more. We want to be like the people. We want to be just like them. There is a passage where it says, God granted request, but sent leanness into the soul. Some people want this, some people want that. They keep crying, they hollered in prayer and loud and crying and lamentation. God gives them the good, what they wanted for, but it draws them the best that they could have had. There's a leanness upon their soul, and good becomes the enemy of the best. What you're going to find, here was a man that was wanting to be, man chosen to be a king by popular demand, and so by tribe by tribe, the prophet Samuel looked out, 
But when it comes to the family of Kish, when by everyone in that family, after going through all the others, and there was a man missing, and they sought him out, and in 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse 22, he was hidden or concealed among the stuff. And then he was called out, he stood head and shoulder above the others, and a crown was placed upon him and anointed. Very important for us to understand, things that are costly, things that are dear, things that are precious, things that are not the ordinary, they're hidden. And when you think about Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44, it's a treasure that was hidden in the field. Remarkable, it is something that is there to be discovered. I like this passage, the book of Proverbs talks about in chapter 25 and verse 2. It is the glory of God to conceal or to hide a thing, to hide a matter, to hide a subject, or to hide a treasure, but it is the order of the kings to search it out. It becomes the honor of each one of you in the spirit of Cyrus to find out what is there. And just in case you think it's in the sunlight, just in case you think it's in the mountaintop, you're going to be surprised. It's always in a valley you find the depths of intimacy with God. It's always in the dark side, the other side of the desert, that you come to hear the voice of God, like God spoke to Moses, Moses, take off your sandal, for this is holy ground. It is the honor of the kings, kings like Cyrus, to search it out, what God has concealed. It is his glory, but it is your honor to search it out. I want you to realize searching is what the Bible says above all and beyond all. Matthew chapter 6:33, search, search or seek first the kingdom of God in order or priority. Number one, God is kingdom and his righteousness. There is all other things, and the treasures and everything else combined are the other things, but the most important treasure for this morning would be, I'll be talking about the pearl of great price. But the next Sunday, God willing, I'll be opening up more of this uh, treasure trove that's found in the darkness and this hidden well that is found in secret place. But let me just remind you how important it is for us to realize that here God is speaking to Cyrus. What a remarkable person. You're going, to, you're going to find as you look into the history of the people of Israel. It was in 568 uh, uh, that this, uh, the, they were conquered by the Babylonians. Nebuchadnezzar came, and because of the sins of the people of Israel and because of not heeding to the prophets day after day, night after night. They, plead, uh, they kept pleading because God was speaking to them, but they would not heed to the message of God. Ultimately, because of their own, they began to eat upon God's hand and God's grace, and ultimately the hedge was taken away, and there was unleashed the power of what would be Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. 
The Babylonian captivity was horrible. They plagued the land. They destroyed the land. They broke down the temple, took the gold, and they took the best of them and left the residue and merged it with others. What you find is a sad story. A few remnants were taken away from their homeland, and you can understand they were talking about taking down their half. How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? That indeed was a strange land for them. In the midst of all of this, there was the prophetical words of Jeremiah talking about the 70 years where the remnant would return. They would not know how. There was, of course, always a Messiah. And now you can find what God is speaking to what would be years to come. Isaiah is prophesying, and he's specifically mentioning a name way before he was even born, hundreds of years before he was born. So when you look back 2,500 years ago, you find this man, Cyrus, uh, was a heathen in the terms and the eyes of the Hebrew people, was pagan or whatever you want to call him. He was a Gentile, as they would say, and usually would say what good thing can come from anywhere outside. He was what would be a dog, considered to be lesser. And yet I want you to understand God is the God of all flesh. What a remarkable way because he represents, and this Cyrus anointing represents, the anointing that comes upon God's people, the Gentile God is called unto his own, and becomes what would be priests and kings that God has done, not by the way of the word or by the way of the Old Testament, but in a spiritual sense. Be able to stand up and plead, let your kingdom come, and to stand up and speak on behalf of God and to edict what God has said as kings and to make and to stand in the gap as priest. But this is what you find in the first six, something like 15 statements in just six verses. Remarkable. And again, let me just say, this is a man that is not a Hebrew. He's not from that land, come all the way from Persia. And what he does is so remarkable. He becomes a Messiah for them, an anointed for them. He's the one that brings salvation to them. He did what Pharaoh could not do and would not do. When Moses said, let my people go, Pharaoh hardened his heart. There was no one crying out, let my people go. And yet, this Cyrus of his own not only reached out, but he said, go. And I'm going to bless you. I'm going to finance your expedition. I'm going to send you out. I will also build a temple, and I will also return everything that Babylonian emperor Nebuchadnezzar took from you. So when you read this passage, I want you to understand that number one, God is speaking, thus said God to Cyrus. I said he's an unbeliever. I said he's a non Hebrew. I said he's a Gentile. And yet I want, you, I want you to know how God addresses him. He says the Lord to his anointed. And if you were to take the word Hebrew word, it simply means Messiah. Messiah. And that to that nation at that point of time, the one that would, of course, he was not the virgin born and all of that, that specific to relate to Jesus, our Lord. But here he's certainly a Messiah at that time, at that point of their desperate need. And he says to Cyrus, and what Cyrus does is so remarkable, 
He comes to destroy the destroyer that destroyed Israel. He vanquishes the Babylonians, and now comes the region of what would be after the Babylonians, the Medo-Persian Empire. All the way from Persia, which is modern-day Iran, and destroying what would be Babylon, which is today's Iraq. What a remarkable history. And when you look at what it says, he goes on to say, whose right hand I have holding. You remember the prayer of Jabez who said that your hand would be upon me and the prayers of many that your hand would be there to bless me. But here's what God is saying without even this man praying. Whose right hand I have holding. And then he goes on to say to subdue nations before him in terms of spiritual of those that stand against the principalities and powers and goes on to say I will lose the loins and armaments of these kings and the power of the principalities that have destroyed and brought havoc. And like Cyrus, you would be able to bring the rescue mission to people. And then he goes on to say, I will lose the loins to open before him the two-leaved gates. Here was this man who came in and of course the Babylonians were powerful. Of course the Babylonians had barricaded themselves in the great uh, walls. And remember one of the great seven wonders of the then known world was the hanging gardens of Babylon. It was amazing in terms of architecture, in terms of power and armament. And yet this Persian king had his select few go under into the very place where the water would drain out the water and then get entry into the city the walls that were impregnable and were able to open the gates for the entire army to surprise the Babylonians and took over just like that. And you find the gates that God's going to keep open will not be shut. Verse 2, he says, I will go before you. I will make the crooked path straight. No mountain that would stand before you, I will flatten them before you. Do you see the promise God is giving to many who are going through very difficult mountains before them? He says, I will make the crooked path straight. Then he says, I will break in pieces the very treasures of Babylon, plundering and looting the nations around, were put under the earth, covered completely, embarked and completely barricaded, not only with soldiers around, but with iron and brass. And he says here, I will break into pieces the gates of brass, cut asunder the bars of iron. And then he says, I will give you the treasures, the treasures of darkness. It's way down. I'm going to give it to you. And I'm going to give you hidden riches in secret places. Why? That you may know that I, the Lord, which called thee by, by name, am the God of Israel. Then he says, for Jacob, my servant's sake, and elect my, my, and Israel, my elect, I've called you by thy name. Not only that, I've also given you a name. I've surnamed you, though you have not known me. You find God had basically named Peter from Cephas to Peter. You find Jacob's name being changed. You find, I'm sorry, Abraham's name being changed. You find so many changes. And in the New Testament, in the last book, you find we have a name that no one else knows. And this is a term of endearment that God will call you like your dad or mom would give you a pet name. That's how close, that's how intimate God is towards his people. 
and give to a Gentile. It is those that have been come out and yet part of a commonwealth of Israel. And I want you to understand, God goes on to say that I have surnamed you, and verse 5, I am the Lord, there is none, there is no God besides thee. I have girded you, strengthened you, covered you, boldened you, though thou hast not known me known me, that they may know, this is the, the crutch line here, from the rising of the sun and from the west, that there is none besides me, I'm the Lord, and there is none else. So here comes King Cyrus, takes over Babylon, expands the empire to a greater length, and you're going to find not only that, he does something so remarkable. He goes down into the very Arts of the earth where the Babylonian treasures were down in the darkness, guarded so well, and he takes out everything that this man Nebuchadnezzar had plundered and looted from the temple. And when you read Ezra chapter 1 and verse 7, this is remarkable what he does. It goes on to say, And Cyrus the king brought forth the vessels of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had brought forth out of Jerusalem, and put them in the house of his God. He brought them all out, and he basically sent it back to Jerusalem. He sent back the finest and the best and everyone who wanted to go. He said, I will pay for your travel. I will pay for the expense. This is a man... Even though he was not a Hebrew, had a heart for the people of God. And this is what the Bible talks about him. He's speaking to you today. And we are talking about kings and priests in the New Testament. And he's speaking to you, Cyrus, a king in authority. One that God says, I have all authority. And Jesus says, I give you that authority in my name. You shall cast out demons. You shall speak in tongues. And you shall lay hands on the sick. It is so powered that way beyond human understanding. For the weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal, but they are mighty. It's not in the natural, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. That Babylonian walls of today are going to break forth. Demonic walls will break forth because... You have the Cyrus anointing. And so treasures of darkness. When you think about treasures, you're always reminded of treasures and uh, treasure hunters and the pirates of the Caribbean and the marvelous movie about searching it out or something that is hidden deep within or maybe somewhere in some field there's a wealth and I'm going to find my piece of gold under some rainbow. And so there's always people searching for treasures, treasure hunters, and there's been a whole lot of uh, treasures, uh, unfortunately, the wrong types of treasures and in the wrong places. Thinking about that, think about people that have done great expedition in terms of finding wealth and gold at the expense of lives. You think about Ponce de uh, Leon, who basically went out and what was his quest in the Caribbean? This is to find uh, the, what would be the fountain of youth. And he felt if he could have it, he would be forever young. If he could sell it, he would make a lot of money. And this was where he was pursuing it, and he searched high and low, and he realized there isn't a treasure called the fountain of youth. 
Many have gone into the farthest reaches of the world to find that gold and diamond and silver and come back and make themselves or the nations or the people wealthy only to bring back pain and hurt and leaving behind sickness and death in the land. And when you look at all of this, it's so sad. There are people searching for the wrong things in the wrong places. You look at people that have gone around hurting people and despoiling the lands. That is what the spiritual world around us are doing. Wickedness in high places. That's what demons want to leave behind mutilation, death. And that's what the devil does. He steals, he lies, he kills, he destroys. He does a great job on that. I want you to realize there's a lot of people searching out whether it's... Uh, Machu Piru, whether it be in the springs of Egypt, whether it be in the dark places in many parts of the world and east where you find animal sacrifice and human sacrifice and blood drinking and all sorts of things and mass orgies or wherever they go, it's so sad. Or in Stonehenge, uh, 60 miles south of London, where you get this uh, energy and there's a lot of people in the New Age looking for the energy in certain places. It's so demonic. They lack the very pit of hell, spirits of uh, dead and spirits of what they call divination, all of this that happened. And unfortunately, just so that you know it's happening from the pulpit as well, under the guise, it's the Holy Spirit. I want you to realize, my friend, you're searching for wrought things in the wrong places. And yet we find the word darkness, and I will explain that word darkness, it's not something of a of a situation that uh, the Bible many a times talk of it in the positive. There's a sense in which many a times people look at it in terms of political, in terms of sociological, in terms of cultural, almost to say, I'm a little fairer and brighter than you. So in this uh, ladder climbing, I am the top notch because I'm a little fairer. Why? Because dark would be a little inferior. It seems to be the ploy for supremacy across the world, not just the white. Even in African Asia, Africa and Asia, you find a little fair that the rest would mean you are better off than anybody else. It is something so hid within, in, in culture, that is so terrible. But I want you to understand, I'll talk about it the next time, darkness uh, in the positive way. And I'll explain in just a moment. But what we find is God saying, I'm going to give you treasures of all places in darkness, in dark places. And we're not talking about hell and the pits of hell, but where God has placed the most important, the most precious thing, he's hidden. When you look at the diamond, someone had to go down and search it and excavate and find it. And there it lay in the earth, actually being in the crevices of the earth through all of that what was going through, shaping and making it to be what would be a coal to become the finest, costliest, whether it be gold, whether it be oil, whether it be chemicals, whether it be whatever. They're hidden. Many a people would think, I just need to sit down, everything comes. All I have to say, Jesus or some mantra, they come. No, my friend, there's no shortcut. It is searching. Search the scriptures and you will find all that the law and the prophets had said. And what you find is a desire and an honor to search. It is the glory of God to conceal. 
When you look at this treasure, you're going to find of all places, it's in darkness. It's in dark places. Treasures are found of all places. Treasures of God's word, treasures of experience you have with the Lord, intimacy with the, God, with the Lord, treasures of ideas, treasures of what you call that made you, comes out of the moments of your valley, moments of your desert, moments of your dark periods, even through the health crisis, in through the financial crisis, even through all of the situation you have gone through, it's not simply darkness. Think of it at wealth that you have gained. And I want you to realize it's something that you have to search for in your time of darkness, in your time of gloom, in your time of pain, in your time of whatever you're going. Search! Because all things have been orchestrated by God. The steps of a righteous man or a woman is ordained by God. And it is not an accident. But God has brought this or allowed it for a reason where you can search and find the reason why you're here because you're going to come out, but you must come out with a treasure. Or treasures, it's capital. I will be talking about next Sunday the principle of darkness. From Matthew chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus said, what I say in darkness, you will go through darkness. Listen to what I say. In the darkness of your life, even in your despair, even in your dissatisfaction, even in your depression, I will speak to you. And when you come in the light, you're going to come into the light. Speak it out. Tell it out. Because it comes out of your dark experience. Now I want you to realize we all are travelers. And in our travel are these principles, nuggets that we experience. They become very important twilight moments of our lives. Something that we must treasure. It's not the dust. It's not the dirt. But it is those precious nuggets that we find that we dug in our despair, in our desperation. And I want you to know the greatest principles that come out of even prison times like Joseph or John Bunyan in Pilgrim's Progress comes out of despair and desperation. And here treasures of the darkness, treasures in the midst of darkness, treasures during your darkest period. That is the brightest thing that you could ever have. You did not meet the Lord. You did not hear from the Lord as clearly, as awesomely as when you are in the valley than when you are up on the mountain. Or when you are, not when you are in the sunshine of your day, but in the darkness of the midnight hour. I'll be talking about the things and the, and the amazing things that have taken place in the midnight hour. But just a story, a fable, will help us to understand this. It talks about three riders on horses. They've been traveling. And as they came to this riverbed, the waters had receded. And it was late night, and as they were basically riding, a voice suddenly stopped them. A voice arrested them. The voice was, 
simply get off your horses. And so they didn't know what it was, but it was so commanding, they got off the horses and said, go search through the dirt and pick up those stones. Go ahead. And they did just that. And the voice said, now you can go. Get to your horses and go on your way. But the voice said something very remarkable. Because by morning, you're going to be so happy and you're going to be so sad. All through the night they were riding, they said, what is it about what we picked up that we're going to be so happy and yet so sad? So at the first crack of the morning, at the first crack of light, they got down, they opened their bags, they looked out, it was precious, precious stones. Diamond, rubies, gem, emerald, you'd name it, crystals, all sorts of things. They were happy. They were sad. We wish we could have picked up more. We wish we had more. In this brief existence of our life, the brevity in the length of days or in the length of hours, it's important that we do not gather the dust and the earth and all the things around, but ultimately, what is it that we hold on to? My friend, it must be worth the treasure of great price. It must be the pearl of great price. What is it that you value? Was it, what is it you're willing to search for? What is it willing to die for? What is it willing to fight for? What is it that you are willing to stand up for? It ought to be precious, precious, not wasted, futile, dust of the earth. It's not worth the fight. Stand up if it is treasure worth counting and worth fighting and worth living for. Otherwise, you are wasted with dust. Dust, everything is dust. When all that is said and done, when you stand before God, it is not the dust of your home and the dust of your automobile or all of the wealth you have gathered. My friend, what will last the longest? Every wood, hay, and stubble will be burned, but that which is precious will stand. And that is so important. Give the Lord a clap offering. What I want you to know is we are as these travelers traveling along and in the midst of our life we're searching. It's a matter of finding what are the treasures we search for. What is so important that we are searching for. And I want you to understand there's a God in heaven, a Father who loves us and who didn't place us in the world for no reason. He didn't put you there in a time of depression. He didn't put you there in a time of pandemic. He didn't put you there in a time of your darkness and period of whatever you are going through without a purpose. And if you should search it out, find out when you come into the light, what are the nuggets that will keep you for the rest of your life that you will want to give and share with your family, with your children, with your loved ones in the church and to humanity? What will it be that you will give to them? It must be worth it. It must be worth the treasure that you're willing to die for, live for, fight for,
stand up all, not futile dust and earth and just money that will fade. There's a God who loves us. And when I turn to Psalm 16, verse 11, it tells me, pleasures forevermore. It says, thou will show me the path of life. In the presence is fullness of joy. At the right hand, at the right hand, at the right hand, are pleasures forevermore. I read in Psalm 84 and verse 11, look at this, my friend. It says here, for the Lord God is a son and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. No good thing. My God is not stingy. My God is not fugal, but God is letting you go through this darkness for you to find that nugget, for you to accumulate that treasure worth living for, worth dying for, worth standing before the throne and say, here, I have lived for you. Treasures that last more than a lifetime. I find in the book of Romans, chapter 8 and verse 32, it says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? That is my God. That is Abba Father. That is Jesus who is giving us and introducing us to the Father. Give the Lord a clap offering. So when you look at this, my friend, I find so much in the Bible there is treasures. Yes, there is treasures of health, and that is important. We can't take for granted. Or the position that God has placed us, or the family God has given us, friends that God has given us, the church and the things of God. There's something about God he tells us. He tells us in the Ten Commandments, you shall not covet. And he's specific about the coveting. And yet, when it comes to spiritual things, Paul is saying in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, covet earnestly. Excuse me, God. You said in Ten Commandments, don't covet. And here, covet earnestly the best spiritual gift that you would be able to bless, that you'll be able to exalt God, you'll be able to edify the church, you'll be able to evangelize the community. And this is simply search, seek, and this is so important. I want to say this, that when you go through the scriptures, you're going to find so much that God has to give. But there's a couple of things that in our searching we need to find. Treasures that I find in terms of importance is number one, very important, is the presence of God. Number two, I find the Word of God. I will re talk about it the next time. 
Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will abide forever. Number three, the Holy Spirit. Number four, revelation. Number five, understanding. Number six, a searching heart. Number seven, obedience and then trust. And then kingdom expansion, kingdom empowerment. Something else I will talk to you about. In the midst of your darkness, God will give you a secret that smacks human wisdom. That is what Job says, songs in the night. Like Silas and Paul in the midst of their darkness. And so there's something important that we find in the midst of darkness, emancipation, that is simply meaning freedom at midnight, when they set the table and they were able to eat the Passover, what we will be celebrating, just in case you're watching, this is the time you should prepare for the communion in just a moment. But I want you to understand something very important in all of this, is there is a sense of uh, glory that we seek, searching and knowing the glory of God. I want to just say this, my friend. There's something that is about God, and this is the principle of what I call darkness. Sometimes we tend to think darkness is so negative. I understand demons live in darkness. I understand there's a whole lot of chaos in darkness. I understand all of this, but... There's a lot of things that are about light too that are negative. Do you know that angels can transform themselves into angels of light? So, just in case you think about color of bright and dark, I want you to know it's the same. There's nothing one against the other. But I want to say this very importantly. When you look at the presence of God or the person of God, you're looking and saying, oh my God, it must be royal, splendor, celestial glory. And all of them could be translated into white, 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 white. Or is it? He dwells in light, he dwells in darkness. How do you define God? I will be talking about it, God willing, next Sunday. If you were to look at Exodus chapter 20 and verse 21, in the time of the law, and the, and the people stood far off. But Moses drew near. He went near into thick darkness. Oh, Moses, don't go there. The devil is living there where God was. Have you gone through that thick darkness of your life and you saw God? And this is what he said, show me your glory, O Lord. And God said, hide behind the cliff of the rock. It's thick darkness. Just to get a glimpse of the backside. What honor have you been by the side of the cliff of the rock? Darkened by the rock. And yet you could see the form of God. No man had seen God at any time except the sun. And I want you to realize he explains to us the one who is and the one who said I am because Philip said, show us the Father. And Jesus said, haven't you seen the Father? God is the Spirit. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. He has no eyes, but He sees. He has no ears, but He hears. He has no skin, but He can feel. And He has no nose, and yet He can smell. He is far beyond human understanding and comprehension. And yet we know Him through Christ Jesus. When you look at this, my friend, it's amazing, the presence of God. 
You know, when you turn to 2 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 12, look at the picture that David is talking about. God made darkness pavilions round about him. Excuse me? I thought darkness is evil. Dark waters and thick clouds of skies. Get your picture straight. When you look to 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 12, this is what King Solomon said. Then spake Solomon, the Lord said he would dwell in thick darkness. Let's hear Solomon again in 2 Chronicles chapter 6 and verse 1. And this is what he said. Then said Solomon, the Lord said that he would dwell in thick darkness. Have you been in that thick darkness? In that despair? When you are laid up in the hospital? When you have been rejected? When you have been misunderstood? When you've been hurt? Have you been in the thick darkness? God has a date with you. Or can I say, you have a tryst with God. When you turn, my friends, to Psalm chapter 8 and verse 11, look at the words of the psalmist. What a wonderful way, in a picturesque way, Psalm 18, eight, 18 and verse 7. No, it's Psalm 18 and verse 11. He made darkness a secret place. Keep the word secret place. We'll talk about it later. He made darkness a secret place. His pavilion round about him were dark waters and thick clouds of the sky. Pastor, can you just explain, is that where God dwells? No, he dwells in the light. He dwells in the darkness. So don't make a doctrine out of this. Let's read Psalm 139. What a marvelous way. He says, if I hide, go down the water, you are there. If I go into this, you are there. If I go wherever you are, there, I cannot hide from you. But I like the way he explains it in Psalm 139 and verse 12. Listen to this. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day, they are both equal. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. Did you hear that? They are the same to God. You go through darkness, you say the devil is there. And you go through light, you say God is there. God says, I'm there in the darkness, I'm there in the light. Where are you? Number two, the world began with darkness. Six very important points I want to just explain in the very first creation story. When you turn to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning God, that is the beginning. Elohim, the very first word, Elohim. But when you turn to verse 2, darkness, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the earth. Number three, the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Number four, in verse three, the Word of God. And God said, God said, in the midst of darkness, did you hear what God said? And God said, let there be light. And verse 5, there was light. 
I want you to know something very interesting. This was the third day. We're not talking about the first day, the second day. This is the third day. The sun and the moon and the stars were yet to be. So, where did this light come from? When you turn to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 14 and verse 15, that is when the stars, the sun, the moon, the stars, God said, let there be lights in the firmament. This is on the fourth day. They have to divide the day and night and let them be for signs, for seasons, for days and years. Verse 15 goes on to say, let them be for lights in the firmament and heaven to give them light. But when you turn to verse 18, all what God said was good. When you turn to verse 19, all this took place on the fourth day. On verse 19, the next verse it says, and the morning was the fourth day. So we're not here on the fourth day, we are on the third day. God said, let there be light. Light was. I want you to realize you had God the Father. And then darkness was come. And then the Holy Spirit. And the Word of God. And the light. When you turn to John chapter 8 and verse 12. Jesus proclaimed, not once, not twice, four times. He said, I am the light of the world. That is amazing. So I'll be talking more about the treasures of darkness, God willing, next Sunday. But I want to come back to communion this morning. And I want to just mention one of the greatest treasures I find is treasure light. Treasure light. And I'm not talking about darkness and light. I'm talking about the personality of light and life. You know, John begins before the beginning. Genesis begins with the beginning. John is going before the beginning, even before there was any beginning, God. In the beginning was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. We are talking about the Word now. But when you turn to verse 4 and 5, in Him was life, and the life was the light of all men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Verse 5, there was a man sent from God whose name was John, but 6 goes on to say, he was not that light, but came to bear witness of that light. So who is the light? Verse 9. He was the light which lighted every man that come into the world. Luke chapter 2 and verse 32 is remarkable because it talks about a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of my people Israel. That is that light. I want to say this importantly when you turn about the Lord Jesus, the greatest treasure, I'll be talking about some very important principles of treasure, but one of the greatest treasure, the greatest of them, is what you find in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44. And listen, the kingdom of heaven, the king, is like a treasure hid in a field. The kingdom is represented by the king, the principality. And the Bible says it was hid in the field. If it was not for God's grace, our eyes would never have been opened to understand the greatest treasure. Only when we go to heaven could we realize ignoble, weak, unworthy vessel, and yet in the celestial glory, and we'll be able to look at the price 
Jesus Christ, our Lord, and because of Him. Give the Lord a clap offering. I want us to realize, my friends, something so important is in the next verse, in, in verse 46, we're talking about now the pearl of Christ. When he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and brought it. It's remarkable. We're talking about a small man, a businessman, a farmer, whatever you want to talk about, you, me. What does he do? Finds the pressure in the field. What does he do? Find a pearl of great price. He doesn't have money to buy the treasure. He doesn't have money to buy the pearl of great price. But, my goodness, he has money to buy the field. And if he could buy the field, he's got the treasure. And if he could buy the field, he's got the pearl of great price. What remarkable. You see, my friend, when you turn to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 29, what a powerful word it is to whom God make the mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. When you turn to chapter 2 and verse 9, listen carefully, in him dwelleth in this field, dwelleth the Godhead boldly. Everything you want to know about the Godhead, even above Father and the Holy Spirit, in Him dwelleth. By the whole field, you got God and bodily in Him. My friend, the powerful principle of treasure, that is what Paul said, that I might know Him, that I would search for Him, that I might win Him, forsaking all other things I towards the mark for the price of the high calling of God in Christ. Searching, pressing, pressing, because it's a treasure. The things that I counted gain turned out to be lost, and the things that were a loss I counted but gain. Forgetting all this family pride and my culture, my race, how brilliant or how fair or dark, but it doesn't matter. It was a loss compared to Christ. My political, my culture, my nation, oh, how patriotic, that may be important, nothing compared to the excellency of Jesus Christ. Give the Lord a clap offering. So you find what a greatness of this. And yet I want you to understand, Christ coming to earth was in darkness. Christ dying for us was in darkness. Christ resurrected was in darkness. And Christ coming back again is in the cloud of darkness. Did you get me, my friends? It was the darkened night. No one will be in the field. They're all gone to bed. They said, darkness is for the devil. Some crazy shepherds watching their flocks by night. In darkness... And Luke chapter 2, verse 8 and verse 9 tells us what happened. There was in the same country shepherds biding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Verse 9 goes on to say, And look, the angel of the Lord came upon them, the glory of the Lord shone right about them, and they were sure afraid. They said, don't be afraid, we have good news. And then in verse 13 and verse 14, 
It was simply joined by a symphony of heavenly orchestra. Suddenly there was with what in the night of all times in darkness and what to these shepherds? If only great kings and great prophets and great men could have had this experience, they would give their right hand for this. Humble shepherds at night saw angels, multitudes of heavenly hosts praising God and hearing the voice, glory to God in the highest and on earth be peace and goodwill towards men. And yet it was in the middle of the night Jesus was taken as he sweated himself, sweat of blood in the darkness of Gethsemane. And in that darkness, seven trials, more trials. And it was at that Peter at the fire said, I know him not, all in the darkness. It was in the darkness that Judas betrayed him. It was in the darkness he was spat at. And when in the clear sunny day he was crucified, three hours the sun refused to shine. In that darkness, Luke chapter, I believe, 23 and verse 44. It was about the sixth hour. There was darkness all over the earth until the ninth hour. And look what happened in verse 45. The sun was darkened. The veil of the temple was rent in peace, all in the midst of darkness. The sun, the moon, and everything that were created by him just wept. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 45 goes on to say the same thing. It was the earth was darkened and so forth. But let me just say this. In the thick darkness, you heard the words of Jesus loud and clear. Luke chapter 19 and verse 30. It is finished. The work for which it came was accomplished. That's not the end. It was that dark morning. Mary came into the sepulcher and John chapter 20 verse 1 tells us very clearly. It says the first day of the week, early while it was what? Still dark. While it was what? Still dark. Unto the sepulchre, seeing the stone, and she heard the voice of the angel say, Why seek you the living among the dead? And then later he heard, she heard the voice of Mary, and she turned and said, Rabbani, master, teacher, great one, what amazing. This is why he went into the darkness of what would be the world. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4 and verse 5, smitten of God, where we should have been smitten. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrow. We did esteem and stricken. He was smitten of God and afflicted where we should have been. Verse 5 says, he was wounded for our transgression in the midst of darkness. Even the father of use, our heart bleeding to see his son go through that. Saying, bruised for iniquity, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with stripe we are healed. And Corinthians, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 29, without sin, sinless, he was made to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made righteousness of God in him. 
I want to realize in the midst of darkness, the Bible says light shone. Isaiah 60, verse 1 talks about the glory. Verse 2 says, gross darkness shall come upon the earth. Verse 2, and he says, gross darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness in the people and the Lord shall write upon them and the glory of the Lord shall be seen. And then the next couple of verses tells you about the latter-day church and what happens in the next three verses so powerful. But the message that Paul writes and I'll be, that John the Beloved writes, and I'll be talking about these people, they've gone, gone through their darkness. John in the island of Patmos shut up into that terrible situation of darkness and literally left for dead, even as Paul in the darkened dungeon where he wrote most of his episode. But John the Beloved is telling what the last message, a new commandment, and yet he says it's not a new commandment. And tells you why this new commandment in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 8, he says, because the darkness is past and because the light now shineth. You may be disheartened, you may be disgraced, you may be depressed. There were two on their way to Emmaus. They're leaving Jerusalem. They've had enough. Out of Jerusalem, we've lost our hope, we've lost our faith, we've lost our association. The whole thing just fell down. And you can see them just bitter, hurt, depressed. And they was joined by another person. And in that moment of time, something happened. They sat down to have a meal. And I want you to come with me to Luke chapter 24 and verse 30. And as they sat down, he broke the bread and blessed it and gave it to them. And verse 31, their eyes were opened. They knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. Perfunctionary. It's a ritual. It's a tradition. If only you and I knew the communion that we take, the importance of this. Some call it the consubstantiation, transubstantiation, or it is the spiritual presence, or maybe it is just simply a memorial. It's more than all that. It is simply transporting ourselves spiritually where we come to the cross where Jesus was crucified. We see him taking our sins, we see him take all of our darkness, and in that process, he brings his blessing upon us. What an exchange. We see that cross of Jesus. We see the one that was crucified. Now, I want you to understand, when we break this bread, we go all the way back to that darkened night. When we take this bread, we're here, and some of you may be going through a very difficult time, and it talks about the future when the dark cloud will split and you will see Jesus coming in glory. As often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we do show forth his death past that dark night till he comes splitting the dark clouds in glory. The question is, when you take this bread, do you realize you have a treasure out of darkness? When you break this bread, do you realize that you have a pearl of great price that you are willing 
to give it all, stand up for all, die for, and to be able to press for the truth of the treasure of Jesus Christ. Are you willing to take this communion today to say, yes, Lord, I treasure your greatest gift. And as I break this bread, count my life. I treasure Jesus Christ more than all the other treasures. Shall we stand? As you take this cup, remember it was the darkest of night. And it could be darkness for you. But I want you to discover the greatest treasure in all of eternity. Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Shall we take this? Can you say thank you, Father? For the darkest night was my greatest treasure. I thank you so much. In Jesus' name. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his death. Thank you for his life. Thank you for his coming. In Jesus' name. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that you've been encouraged by the word of the Lord. To learn more, please visit our website, highlandny.org, or our Facebook page, Highland Church, New York. Until next time, may God richly bless you.